Volume 2, Chapter 15 of The Heidenmauer, or The Benedictines, A Legend of the Rhine, by James Fedemore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedemore Cooper, Volume 2, Chapter 15. Forbear to judge, for we are sinners all. King Henry the Sixth, Among the expiations prescribed to the pilgrims of Durkheim and Hartenburg, there had been included an especial and early morning service, the one to which they were now summoned. Time had been allowed the weaker portion of the party to rest, while the stronger had been employed in the manner described in the preceding chapter. Certain self-inflicted stripes it was taken for granted had been duly bestowed at different periods during the long journey from the Palatinate. It was an hour after the separation of the abbey guests that the procession of the Benedictines swept out of the cloisters into the body of the church. Though far from being a community remarkable for the austerity of its practices, it was not unusual for monks of all orders to quit their pallets on extraordinary occasions and to break the stillness of night with the music and service of the altar. When the spirit comes thus fresh from repose, and in a disposition suited to the object into the immediate presence of the deity, incense and praise so free from the dross of humanity must come nearer to that high purity which adorns the worship of angels than any other that can ascend from man, since it is at such a moment that all least fill the burthen of their corporeal adjunct. Even in the daily parochial duty, the good Catholics still observe a uniformity and rigidity of practice that are unknown even in this land of Puritan origin. The church bell is heard in every village with the first dawn of light. At indicated hours, all within hearing of its sound are admonished to recall their thoughts from earth by addressing a prayer to God. And with the close of day, the flock is once again summoned to the fold at the service of vespers. These are beautiful and touching memorials of our duties, and when practiced in sincerity, cannot fail to keep the mind in better subjection to the great authority that directs all our destinies. In countries where the husbandmen dwell together in villages, the practice is easy, and we hold its loss to be one of the greatest disadvantages of our own diffuse distribution of rural population, a distribution which is also the reason why we must forever be wanting in several other features of social intercourse that give to life more or less of its poetical charm. Happily, there are, on the other hand, accompanying advantages that perhaps more than serve as offsets to this as to most other similar anomalies in our usages. The arrangements of a Benedictine chapel and the decorations of its altars, together with the manner in which the Brotherhood occupy their stalls in the choir, have been too often mentioned in these pages to require repetition. Long accustomed to these exercises, the monks were early in their places, though they for whom the Mass was to be said were not all as punctual. Ulrich and Lachchen, with the rest of the females, enter the church in a body, while the men, as is usual in matters that touch the finer feelings, were the last. Emic and the Burgomaster, however, finally made their appearance, followed by their companions, the whole betraying by their drowsy air that they had been endeavoring to sleep off the last repast and to recover from their fatigue. During the Mass, the companions of Lachchen and Ulrich exhibited exemplary devotion and a close attention to the service, but the gaping of the Count and his circle, the wandering eyes, and finally the profound repose of several sufficiently showed that the ethereal part of their natures was altogether unequal to the mastery of that which was material. There was a procession from the choir to the shrine, and the prayers were said, as on the previous day, with the eyes of all riveted on the unearthly countenance of Maria. As each was left to judge for himself of the manner in which he discharged his particular duties, 
There was a very sensible difference in the time occupied by the several devotees in the performance of the common vows. The females appeared to be embodied with a stone, and there were entire minutes during which their motionless forms would have seemed to be as inanimate as the image on which they gazed. But for the heaving of a breast or an occasional tremor, outward and visible signs of the workings of the spirit within, Meta kneeled between her mother and Lakshan, her whole soul apparently engrossed in devotion. As she studied the bright eye that gleamed upon her from the depths of that mysterious chapel, illuminated as it was by gorgeous and bright lamps, her fancy transformed the image into a being sainted and blessed by the choice of God, and her own gentle spirit clung to the delusion as one replete with a hope to cheer her own desolation. She thought of the future and of the grave, of the rewards of the just and of heaven, of that endless eternity and its fruition in which she confided and the ties of earth began sensibly to lessen. There was a holy desire to be at rest, but notwithstanding the spiritual nature of employment, the form of Burkhold, gay in the green garb of the forester, with laughing eye, light step, and cheerful voice mingled in all the pictures of her imagination. Now he appeared, a saint, robed and bearded, as she had been wont to see those holy men represented in works of art, and yet by a contradiction wrought by her own heart always bright and youthful, and now she thought him gifted with wings, and united to the beings of that heavenly choir, which had so many representatives around her suspended between the roof and the pavement of the edifice. Singular as it may seem to some of our readers, so busy and so alluring was the working of her imagination at this thrilling moment that the mourning and affectionate girl had rarely spent an hour of more holy enjoyment than this which she passed before the shrine of Our Lady of the Hermits. Very different were the sensations of Lakchan. Her griefs were those in which the fancy had no share. She wept for the child to which she had given birth, for the stay of her age and for the pride of her life. No fancy could betray the imagination of a mother, nor could any workings of the mind convert the sad reality into aught but the bitter truth. Still Lakchan found consolation in her prayers. Religious faith was active, though imagination slumbered, for nothing can be more different than the delusions of the one and the deep-sustained convictions of the other, and she was able to find a solace for her sorrow by looking with calm, Christian hope beyond the interests of life. The sentiments and feelings of Ulrich differed from those of her friend, only in the degree and in the peculiarity of those circumstances which directed her maternal solicitude to a still-living object. But Ulrich, kind, true, and warm of heart, had tenderly regarded the lost Burkhold. Had there been no other motive than the fact of his being the offspring of Lakshin, she could not have been indifferent to him. But accustomed as she had been for years to look forward to his union with Meta, she felt his loss little less than she would have mourned over that of a child of her own. Not so with Heinrich. The bold and spirited support he received from Burkhold during the assault had sensibly won upon his esteem for the affinities between the brave are amongst the strongest. But the Burgomaster had not passed a life in the indulgence of a passion so engrossing and so incurable as the love of gain, readily to cast aside all his intentions and objects at the impulse of a purely generous feeling. He would freely have given of his beloved stores to the youth, but to bestow Meta was, in his eyes, to bestow all, and under his habits it seemed to be giving gold without an equivalent, to give his daughter's hand to a penniless husband. There are some who accumulate for the advantages that are incidental to wealth. Others hoard under the goadings of an abstract and nearly inexplicable passion, 
while another set heap together their means as boys roll up snow with delight in witnessing how large a mass may be collected by their agency. Heinrich was of the latter class, subject, however, to a relish for the general results of wealth, and like all men who deem money as an end and not as a means, he was in the practice of considering the last measure of his policy, which was intended to double the stock by the marriage of his daughter, as the happiest and greatest stroke of fortune and prosperous life. And yet Heinrich Frey had his moments of strong natural feeling, and the manner in which Meta mourned for the death of Burkhold touched him, to a degree that might have disposed him to say he regretted the faith of his young lieutenant, as much on her account as on his own. It is more than probable, however, could Burkhold have been suddenly restored to life, that the Burgomaster would have returned to his former mode of thinking, and would have thought the resuscitation of the young forester sufficient of itself to assuage the grief of a whole family. Heinrich and the Count were among the first to quit their suppliant attitudes before the shrine. They had each said the required number of prayers, and brushing their knees, the two pilgrims strolled away deeper into the body of the church, like men well satisfied with themselves. But, while so ready to give relief to his own bones, the Burgomaster kept a vigilant eye on Dietrich, who, being a hired penitent, was expected to give Durkheim the full worth of its money in the way of mortifications and aves. Most of the lights in the choir had been extinguished, and the aisles of the edifice were dimly visible, by means of a few scattered candles that burned almost without ceasing before the altars of different subordinate chapels. As they walked down the great aisle, Emic slowly laid a hand on the shoulder of his companion, seeming to invite his close attention by the grave and meaning manner of the action. I could wish that our poor Burkhold, after all, had the virtue of masses from these servitors of Our Lady of the Hermits, said the Count. If there be a special savor in any of this description of prayers, methinks it must be among men who watch a shrine of which they tell all these miracles. Your wish, nobly born brother, pilgrim, and friend, is but the expression of mine own. To own the truth, I have thought of little else while going through the Aves, but to devise the means of persuading the holy abbot at a reasonable rate to change his mind and honestly to let the youth's soul benefit by his intercessions. Thou hast not well bethought thee altogether, friend Heinrich, of thine own errand here. Sapperment! What would you, Herr Emic, from a man of my years and education? One gets to be ready with the words by so oft repeating that going through the beads is much like tapping with a finger while the eye looks over an account. But to speak of the duty, were we to bid higher for these masses, it might raise the present price and we be uselessly losers. For, as I understand the question, the amount given in no manner changes the true value of the intercession to the defunct. Heinrich, returned the Count musingly, they say that Brother Luther denounces these post-mortem prayers as vain and of none avail. That would alter the case greatly, Lord Count and Brother Pilgrim. One could wish to be sure in an affair of this delicacy, for if the monk of Wittenberg hath reason of his side, we lose our gold. And if he hath wrong, the soul of Burkhold may be none the better for our doubts. We laymen are sorely pressed between the two opinions, worthy Burgomaster, and I could fain wish that these reformers would bring the question speedily to a conclusion. By the mass, there are moments when I am ready to throw away the rosary and to take Duke Friedrich of Saxony's side of the question, as being the most reasonable and manly. But then again, should he prove wrong... Thou knowest, Heinrich, we lose the benefit of chapels built, of Ave said, of gold often paid, and the high protection of Rome. Thou seest the strait of poor Burkhold, and this only for some little freedom of discourse. <sighs> 
Heinrich sighed, for he felt the force of the dilemma, and he appeared to ponder well before he answered. Edging nearer to the Count, like a man who felt he was about to utter dangerous sentiments in a delicate situation, he whispered the reply. Here, Emic, he said, we are but dust, and that of no very excellent quality. The potter's ware hath its utility, if well-baked and otherwise prepared. But of what use is man when the breath hath departed? They say the soul remains, and that it must be cared for, neither of which I will dispute. But is it reasonable to buy out a patent of salvation for an intangible thing with current coin? Look to that knave, the smith. Your pardon, nobly born count, but here hath our town engaged the rogue to do penance in its behalf, and in my eyes are no sooner off him than his lips become as stationary as the wings of a mill in a calm. Duty to Durkheim demands that I should give him a jog, after which, with your gracious leave, we will look further into the philosophy of that in which we were dealing. So saying, the zealous Heinrich hurried down the aisle toward his religious mercenary with a laudable and sensitive watchfulness over the interests of his constituents. He found the smith perfectly immovable, and it was only by repeated and vigorous shakes that he succeeded in arousing his auxiliary from a profound slumber. In the meanwhile, Emic walked on, still occupied by his reflections. On reaching the gate of the choir, he was about to retrace his steps when he was privately beckoned by one whose dusky form appeared at a side door of the church to draw nearer. On approaching, Emic found that his old rival, Bonifacius, awaited his coming. The salutations of these ancient enemies were courteous but distant. After a short parley, however, they withdrew in company, and it was past the turn of the day ere the Count of Hartenburg reappeared among the pilgrims. The details of what passed in this secret conference were never known to the public, though subsequent events gave reason to believe that they had reference to the final settlement of the long-contested existence of Limburg in the Jägerthal. It was known generally in the abbey that the abbot Rudiger made one of the council and that its termination was friendly. Those who were disposed to be critical intimated in after days that in this dispute, as in most others in which the weak and the humble lend themselves to the views of the great and the strong, they for whom the battle had been fought and whose apparently implacable enmities had sown discord among their followers, suddenly found the means to appease their resentments and to still the tempest that had raised in such a manner as to suffer most of its consequences to fall on the heads of their allies. This result, which appears to be universal to those who have the imprudence to connect themselves indissolubly with friends who can irretrievably dispose of their destinies, was perhaps to be looked for since the man or the community that is so weak as to confide to implicitly in the faith of the powerful, whether considered individually or as nations, may at once consider itself a tool to favor views that have little connection with its own interests. In cases of this nature, men are wont to share the fate of the orange skin which is thrown away after being sucked, and communities themselves are apt to undergo some such changes as those which mark the existence of the courser, which is first pampered and caressed, then driven upon the pole, and which commonly ends its career at the plow. During the time Bonifacius and Emic were arranging their secret treaty in the best manner that the former could hope for, in the actual state of Germany, and to the entire satisfaction of the latter, the ceremonies of the expiation proceeded. 
Aroused from his sleep, Dietrich endeavored to compensate for lost time by renewed diligence, and the burgomaster himself, apprehensive that the negligence of the hireling might bring a calamity on the town, joined himself to the party with as much zeal as if he had as yet done nothing towards affecting the object of their journey. The sun had fallen far towards the west when the pilgrims finally took their departure for the Palatinate. Father Arnoff was again at their head, and blessed by the abbot and in favor with the church, the whole went their way, if not with lighted hearts, at least with bodies much refreshed, with hopes rekindled, and with packs materially diminished in size. Ulrich and Lochchen paused when they reached the boundary of the plain, where they could command a parting view of the abbey. Here they, and Meta, and indeed most of the party, prayed long and fervently, or at least so seemed to pray. When they arose from their knees, the prior, whose whole time while at the convent had been deeply occupied by religious exercises, and whose spirit had been refreshed in a degree proportioned to his sincerity and faith, came to the side of the principal group of the females, his eye beaming with holy hope and his face displaying innate peace of mind. Ye are now daughters, about to take leave forever of the shrine of Our Lady of the Hermits, he said. If ye have seen aught to lessen the high expectation with which the pious are apt to draw near the sacred altar, ascribe it to that frailty which is inherent in the nature of man. And if ye have reaped consolation and encouragement from your offerings and prayers, ye may with all security impute it to the goodness of God. And thou, my child, he added with paternal tenderness, addressing Meta, thou hast been sorely tried in thy young life. But God is with thee, and he is in yon blue sky, in that sun of molten gold, in yonder icy pile that props the heavens, and in all his works that are so glorious in our eyes. Turn with me to yonder mountain, that from its form is called the mitre. Regard it well. Dost see aught in particular? "'Tis an abrupt and dreary pile of rock, father,' answered Meta. "'Seest thou not else on its highest summit?' Meta looked intently, for in sooth there did appear on the uppermost pinnacle of the mass an object so small and so like a line that at first she passed a hand across her eye to remove a floating hair from before her sight. "'Father!' exclaimed the girl, clasping her hands fervently. "'I behold a cross!' That rock is the type of God's durable justice. That cross is the pledge of his grace and love. Go thy way, daughter, and have hope. The pilgrims turned and descended the mountain in musing silence. That evening they crossed the lake and slept within the ancient walls of the romantic town of Raperswil. On the following day, the pilgrimage being now happily accomplished, they proceeded toward their own distant habitations, descending the Rhine in boats. End of Volume 2, Chapter 15, read by Joel Kendrick.